Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, our newborn King. Amen. The Word of God that calls for our attention this morning comes to us from the epistle reading from Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So far our text. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Very fitting words to say right before the sermon, especially as we take notice of Paul's words to the Colossians, seeking that the word of Christ may dwell in them and in you richly. But first, how does the word of Christ dwell in you in the first place? Well, as we remember from our catechism days, Baptism is not just plain water, but it is water included in God's command and combined with God's Word. It's that Word that first comes to us in that water that grants us the faith to believe in the newborn King also being our crucified Savior. So we have it dwelling in us. How do we make it dwell more richly? Well, the psalm tells us, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. The word of Christ dwells in us richly by continuing to grow in that word first given to us in the water of baptism, but actually opening up the word of God and studying it remembering the things that he has caused to be put down onto paper, things that remind us of the history, of everything that we have, but also the words of salvation that bring us the great joy that we can sing with. And that richness manifests itself in many ways. It helps you to understand what God wants for you in your life, in your faith. It helps you to understand the world around and how dark it is contrasted to the light of Christ. And sometimes, sometimes it even gives special revelation like it did to the prophets of the Old Testament and like it did to Simeon in our gospel reading this morning where he was full of the Holy Spirit and he had been told by the Holy Spirit one of the greatest messages anybody could have gotten before Christmas morning. You will not see death until you have seen the Lord's Christ. Until you have seen the promise of salvation fulfilled in the flesh. What great comfort. Because even Job sought to see his Redeemer with his own eyes long after his flesh was destroyed. Simeon gets the promise that it will be in his lifetime that he will see that coming. And so when he is brought into the temple by the Holy Spirit that morning and nudged that this child in the arms of this young couple is that promise in the flesh, he scoops him up out of his mother's arms and starts to sing. 
Because that's how we're wired. That's how we as people are wired. We love music. We use it to express our joy. We use it to express our sorrow. We use it to go through all the emotions of life. Because music forms the backbone of life. As Martin Luther said many times, music is the handmaid of theology. Pointing to this verse once, reminding us that Paul tells us to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Which is why the last couple of days, with Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we have sung the psalms to bring about that joy. Yes, we could have spoken them, but that bringing the music in brings it to another level, allows it to more richly ingrain itself into us. Because how many of you can turn on the radio in your car, and you may have heard this song maybe twice, but you can sing along with it. That's just how we're wired. We're wired for that way. We're wired that way so that in everything we can give thanks to God. So we can sing as we did at the beginning of the service. Now sing we now rejoice. Now raise to heaven our voice. Because we are joyful over the newborn king that has been brought to us. The one whom Simeon took up in his arms. The one whose word he wants us to have richly dwell in us. Because as the psalm also says, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The word was written down so that we might go back to it. Because he wants us to remember these things. He wants us to focus on these things. This has probably been done no better in the Lutheran church especially than with Simeon's song. The Nook Dimittis that is one of the most familiar canticles that we have in the hymnal. Because we use it all the time. Whether it's after receiving the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the altar, or it's the final words of the service for the saints last time coming into the church for their funeral. Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My eyes have seen the salvation that you have prepared in the sight of all people. Simeon sang that as he held the Christ child in his arms. We sing it with that same comfort. But he also has a dark side to that. As he turns to Mary and Joseph and says, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. This child, the one who's only 40 days old when Simeon is talking about him, is the dividing point of all humanity. This child determines whether you rise with him on the last day or you fall with the devil on the last day. That's why he's also a sign that is opposed. We look around the sanctuary and we see crosses all over the place. The nicely lit up one 
in the front, the one on the end of every one of the pews. And we find comfort in those crosses. But so many Christian churches nowadays are taking every cross out of their sanctuaries because it's a stumbling block for visitors. Those who don't believe, those who don't understand the cross. And we can't have stumbling blocks. We can't have people not come in because, well, they have too many crosses. And crosses are gory. Because they haven't been explained to yet the great glory that is the cross. That yes, the cross, as was told to Mary, would be the sword that pierced through her own soul as she stood at the foot of the cross watching her son be executed. That cross is also the sword that pierces through our soul as well. As Hebrews tells us, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, going down to the very core of our being, which is exactly what Christ wants it to do. That's what having the word of Christ dwell in you richly does, as it goes down to the very core of your being, so that you can see not only your darkness, but his light. Not only your sin, but his redemption. And therefore you can give thanks. Because as the psalm reminds us, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. All the works of his hands bringing about salvation are there. And they are there forever. So Paul can say, not only let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, but let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ that comes in the word of Christ, that comes in the word of redemption. So that he can end our epistle reading this morning saying, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Because when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we have nothing left but thanks to give. Because we see our unworthiness, but we see the fact that he still came to dwell among us so that his word might dwell richly among us. Amen.